0: Hello and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning we're uh, continuing in a study of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is an important uh, book as we think about who Peter is and what he is doing as he's encouraging the first century church. Uh, we have recognized that Peter was writing as an apostle to the to the Jews a uh, letter to the Gentile churches and we know that there was quite a bit of overlap for uh, the apostle. Paul, who was apostle to the uh, the Gentiles, he would often start his ministries in the synagogues to the Jews. And so Peter writing to the Gentiles is all a part of it as well. Uh, Peter was sensitive to the issues of the continuation of the Revelation of God in the Old Testament into the new and how it impacted new New Testament believers and included Gentiles. And that's one of the exciting things about first Peter is uh, he really helps us as Gentiles to tap into the history of the Israelite people throughout the Old Testament. We also recognize in this book that Peter writes to a context of a difficult situation. There seems to be persecution and hardship being experienced by these first century Christians, Gentiles. And Peter is going, is writing to them to build them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them so that they can face these challenges and honor Christ in the midst of those challenges. And these kinds of challenges or revolutions or conflicts are a part of our world. And we might think that they're more a part of our world now than they were 50 years ago. Um, but in actuality, the understanding of Christ as the one who came into the world to save sinners, to redeem a people for himself, has always been in contrast to the world. And there has always been a a battle going on. And there is a continual battle going on in our day. And that's one of the reasons that uh, Peter is so important to us. I mean, we think about even the issue of abortion in our land. We can think about many other Issues that divide our land in terms of what is right and what is wrong. And even in the first century, when uh, Peter was writing to these believers, one of the things that robbed the culture was that they said not, that Jesus was the one and only way. They didn't mind it so much when people came with a new deity or a new God or a new religious system as long as it affirmed all the other deities and other gods and other religious systems. But what set the Christians up as a mark of persecution and trial was that they said, no, it's not a whole plethora of ways. It's not any way that you would like to choose. It is one way. One way, one person, one Savior, and there's salvation in only one name. In the work of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. And so that set them up into this difficult situation. Kind of reminds me of, and this is kind of a touchy topic, but there's a a rugby player in Australia, Israel Fola. Who was, uh, a star player on the team. He was, uh, had a multi-million dollar contract to play rugby. And there was a lot, there's a lot going on in Australia about issues, political issues, beliefs about right and wrong, and behaviors. And, uh, he posted a, a, a statement. That he kind of paraphrased, but it's essentially the statement that was found in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. And it says, Do not do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolatrous nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you take that right out of the Scripture, there's pretty much a line drawn as to what is right and what is wrong. And he lost his job because he was willing to draw that line. And another player on the team lost his job because he said that he believed the truth of this statement. There is pressure happening in our world. We don't know where it's coming from or when it's going to actually get here, but there is pressure in our world. And it's pressure to receive many ways, many ideas. Don't say any one thing is right or wrong. That kind of pressure will enter into our world at some point. It's not super dramatic right now, but I believe that that kind of pressure is coming. And it is exactly the kind of pressure that they faced in the first century. It's one of the reasons that we need to listen to the book of First Peter. Hear what he has to say. Because the culture around Peter's readers was saying you should accept a multiple, uh, multiple ways to God, multiple ways to live before God, multiple affirmed attitudes, lifestyles, and directions. But why is it that Christianity gets into conflict with the world? Because we believe that God is telling us the truth. The truth that is good for us. The truth that will stand the test of time. This is is not something that any one of us as believers have made up. This is the revelation of God to us of what is true. What is life. What is flourishing. What is correct. What God will affirm in us. What will bring life to us as his creation. And so therefore, this is not optional. It is the revelation of God and we as believers must stand in it. We must believe it. We must trust it. We must hear it as God's very word to us. And therefore, it's not really a place of negotiation. It's not really a pick-and-choose opportunity. We have to be wise and careful about what we say is true. We don't fudge on that, but we also affirm why we say it's true. Not just that we go around bludgeoning people with the truth. We don't want to be those kind of people. But we do want to be those kind of people that love people. And that say that this is the truth of God and we will find life in his truth. And our invitation, our longing, our desire is that they come to know that truth. So as we read this passage, we're going to notice that Peter opens this book. He's writing to a church that's experiencing persecution and hardship and i think we might experience persecution and greater hardship in the future and the question that peter is addressing is how are we to respond to that and so we are going to learn important things and peter begins to answer that question right off the, right out of the beginning of the book we are in the section that talks about the thanksgiving that Peter has to God for what God has done in the lives of his people. And last week we looked at verses 3 through 5. And we read that passage a little earlier in the service. And it really focused on God's work of grace in us. The transformation, the life, the new birth That he gives us his mercy extended to us, giving us an inheritance that will never fade, never spoil, never pass away. And that we long for the day that we will see the revelation of Jesus. And everything in the world will be made right under the rightful king. And it is a day we should long for. So as we think about this, it is important that we approach the scriptures always as the revelation of God, and that we stand under the truth of this scripture. And we're going to notice today that we're going to receive trials, we're going to receive testings. That the faith that we exercise in Jesus Christ in order to be genuine is not always easy. This kind of takes me to another little side issue that I hope you'll let me chase a little bit. And that is that Christianity in America kind of comes off as kind of successful, blessed, wealthy, rich, and happy. And that's kind of married to the gospel in many churches and many people's ideas and perspectives. Peter should help us think about that as well. There have been those preachers in our land who say, well, we want to keep the message positive. We want to keep the uh, people upbeat and enjoying following Christ. So we won't talk about sin that much. We won't talk about suffering that much. We won't talk about uh, the hardships of following Jesus when it becomes really challenging. And sometimes I think we think that too. It's important that we step away from that. Because if... If challenges and trials do enter our world in greater measure to us as Christians, I'm afraid that too many of us will say, Oh, what's going on here? This is not what Christianity is supposed to be. It's supposed to be happiness and blessing and safety and goodness. But we learn from Peter that while we're suffering, while we're experiencing trials, we also cling at the exact same time to this hope that brings us tremendous joy. And that there is no promise in Scripture that we are devoid of trials, that we escape all trials, that we don't have hardships. There is no promise like that. Actually, we're here in a broken world and God leaves us here to be beacons of His grace and His truth in the midst of trials difficulties, challenges. And it's kind of American Christianity, and it's being exported all over the world, that Christianity is really about blessing and happiness and wealth and health and everything is for you. When that's not what really is it about. Christianity is about God doing a work in a broken world that has gone its own way and rejected God. It's about God coming into a world to chase after, to, to coax, to call, to bring to Himself a people of God who will be His possession, who will honor and serve Him, reflect His truth, His glory, His righteousness, His love to the world. There's nothing in there about Being blessed with wealth and being blessed with health. and That's not necessarily the gospel. God abundantly blesses. He is gracious and kind. And we experience a lot of those things. But when they go away, we begin to say, Well, where is this Christian faith? Where is this God? Why isn't it working out? It's part of the program. That it should be happiness and blessing. It is not part of the program. We are in a broken world. We are exiles. We are sojourners. And we are are God's people. Yes, agents of His kingdom in this broken world to demonstrate, to show His love and His grace. And many times, often, it shines the brightest In the midst of trial and difficulty. So let's not accept the American gospel that says that it's all peace and peaches and cream or strawberries and whipped cream or whatever you like. We serve a great and glorious God. He is doing something miraculous in us, his people. He is building a kingdom that will last forever. It kind of made me want to say when uh, Craig was doing his announcement uh, about Facebook, I was thinking, "Wow, I didn't know Facebook was a Christian country, a Christian company. Because we are just one minute into the journey as Christians, more so than Facebook could ever say. Because God has an eternal plan, an eternal calling on us. And everything that happens to us in this life is peanuts compared to what the glory that God has in store for his people for all eternity. So let's read this passage, Sorry for that long introduction. Chapter 1... First Peter chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. In all of this you greatly rejoice. Let me just stop there before we read. <laughs> Peter is looking back to what is all of this? He's looking back to verse 3 through 5 that we looked at last week that talks about the great treasure of God's mercy to us, the new birth, the inheritance, the hope of resurrection, the power of God, the being kept by God in faith for eternity, the plans and purposes God has for us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Nothing is more important, nothing is more uh, cause for celebration than what God has done for us in Jesus. And look in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith of salvation of your souls. Now I must admit when I see these kinds of words I'm, I'm, I wish I was more faithful, more enlightened, more understanding, not so captivated by this world. Because you think in verse 6 all, in light of all these things, you greatly rejoice. And I continue to believe in Jesus. I'll stake my life on Jesus. But am I, am I filled with inexpressible joy? Oh, I wish I was more filled with inexpressible joy. I will say that I probably get closest to joy when we gather together. And when we sing Sing songs of celebration that we can participate in together. Those moments, those times of worship actually bring me the greatest joy. Because I get captivated by the truths we sing. And I look around and I see we're all singing these profound truths. And in some way I see the eternal kingdom when we're all gathered together singing praise on that day when Jesus breaks the sky and his kingdom comes in full glory and all people of tribes tongues and peoples and languages are gathered together we're going to be singing the great truths of the gospel and we'll know joy like we've never known joy before oh that I wish I felt more and more of that but in actuality I feel like I'm often in the room where there's a big celebration it's about to start and I'm standing against the wall just you know, waiting for everybody to get there and get all the props up. And I'm just kind of there. I'm convinced there's going to be a party in this room. I'm willing to stake my life that this party's going to happen. But I'm not in the middle of the room jumping up and down. I'm just kind of on the side. like I'm convinced. I wish I was filled with greater joy. And And those times of worship... When we worship together, do fill me with that kind of joy, or some tastes of that joy. When I read the scriptures and I find things about God that I didn't know, and I get filled with joy and excitement, that's wonderful. When I'm praying and I feel God's presence in my life, I I get joy. When we share the gospel and somebody, the light goes on, I get joy in my life. But you know how else God builds joy into us? Various trials of all kinds. So isn't it funny that Peter puts these right next to each other? That he's saying, look at that glorious gospel that is promised to us. And he says that in verse 6, and now I'll finish the passage again. Verse 6, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, You believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When I read that, I can feel the joy start to well up. Yeah, we're really on the right road. We believe that God is doing something marvelous, miraculous, that will last forever. But now I know that I am at this present time Experiencing grief and suffering trials. So what do we take from this passage? First, we should realize that tests are allowed for a good, genuine faith. Tests are allowed. Tests will come into our life. That this isn't some kind of foreign idea. That we shouldn't begin to question God about our lives because we are having difficulty. Actually, we must see that this, in in the divine scheme of things, is a short little while. And that everything that happens to us in this world, in this context, is governed by God. There is definitely wickedness and evil and bad things that happen. We're not taken out yet. It is still managed by God because God has an end in in time that will happen when Jesus is revealed. But that while we're traveling through this, between the time of our conversion when we trust Jesus to the time that we see Jesus, there is an area of growth and maturity And purifying. Look at as it says there. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. Greater worth than gold. May result in praise, glory, and honor. There is an objective. There is a plan. There is a purpose in everything that happens in our life. We must not forget that God is shaping us. Making us strengthening us, deepening us in every situation, every challenge. So here's what we must hear from Peter. Don't start thinking immediately, how I get out of this? How does this get stopped? How does... Look at your situation in the difficulties you have, even if it's relationally, if it's about jobs, if it's about your future, if it's about plans. All of those are challenges that are opportunities, opportunities for you and me to exercise our trust and our faith and our confidence in God. And God actually says He'll, He'll put us in those places. So that we can do that. So that our faith can be genuine. Because it is more precious to God than anything. He loves genuine faith. He's building genuine faith in us. So as we think about this passage, there is two things I want us to remember. There is no untested faith. When we look in the scriptures, and we think about Hebrews using the example of the Israelites coming out of Egypt in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, and them coming towards the promised land, and God was. Inviting them to trust him. He was leading them by a a pillar of uh, fire at night and a cloud by day. He was providing for them manna every day so that they'd have food to eat. And he was inviting them to trust him. And Hebrews says, the Lord tested their faith. See every situation you're in as a test. As an encouragement. As an opportunity to grow and to deepen your faith. Don't squirm and don't fight and don't get angry and don't feel like you're betrayed. Look at every opportunity as an opportunity for Christ's love and grace to be magnified and displayed through your life. This is Peter's word. At the exact same time that they are experiencing trials... And tribulations of all kinds. They are at the exact same time hanging on to the glorious riches God's promised to them. And those are hanging together. And Peter says... While those are hanging together, they're not just hanging together. It's not just something we got to get through. What There's a purpose involved. Those are hanging together so that we hang on to the promises more and more that the faith that we exercise in the midst of those trials becomes more and more genuine, powerful, deeper, stronger. And that by our obedience and longing to be like Jesus in those moments, we are building for us A day of celebration. It's kind of like when you go across the the ocean. I've never done this on a sea liner or something. Go across the ocean and you get storms. And I've been on plenty of boats where I got extremely sick. And that is no fun. But if you're going across the ocean and it is rough seas and you're getting sick. What keeps you going? What keeps you encouraged? Knowing the destination. Knowing the destination. Peter's saying. Remember. Realize. The destination. That God is taking you to. In Christ Jesus. And then. In the midst of those trials. Let. That work on you. To bring your faith. To genuineness. To beauty. To depth. And glory. So. So. First, we realize that the tests are allowed for good, genuine faith. Second, we should realize how precious genuine faith is to God. Why is faith such a big deal to God? Think about what faith is, what it does. What is God's response to faith? Faith. God loves faith so much that He promises to do something about it. And that is to purify it. To make it grow. To make it stronger. Reminds me of like when uh, I met some new believers. And I've seen this happen many times. New believers, they come to trust Jesus. They realize that they're sinners and they repent. And they accept, receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness. And then me and a bunch of us, we get around them and they're new believers and we pray, Lord God, protect them, uh, make their life good and guide them. And and you know what happens inevitably like in a month, you know, they they lose their job. They get kicked out of their apartment. And we're like, God, where are you? And all of a sudden their boyfriend or girlfriend just up and leaves them. They don't get into the school they're planning on. And we're thinking... We were praying that they would be able to step into the faith in a strong way, in a good way. But then you see in them, week after week, even in the midst of all those hardships, they come with deeper and deeper confidence and faith that God is true in their life. And you realize, well, I guess I couldn't orchestrate it as good as that. God was able to take this new believer, this person, and ground them in the faith far beyond my best expectations, my best plans, through the use of trials and tribulations. God uses trials and tribulations in our lives to make our faith genuine. So let's always face difficulties and challenges with a view to what God is up to. Not uh, with the view that I'm in control of my own destiny and I have certain rights and privileges and part of the gospel should be health and wealth and prosperity and safety and happiness and I should get the job promotion, I should get the house, all that. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Always come with a view towards what God is up to. In every situation, God is the one who orchestrates our life. God has plans and purposes that are deeper, that are stronger, that are more powerful and more important to us to bring us into the kind of relationship He longs for us to have. That's what life really is about. The world tells us it's about all kinds of political action and activities and all kinds of issues But really it's about God bringing a people to Himself who love Him and know Him. And are walking with Him. That's what He's up to in your life. That's what He's up to in my life. Praise God He is. And let's be willing to go wherever He takes us. To be faithful, to be changed, to be transformed for His glory and our good. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the rich truths in First Peter. We thank you for the reality that there is there there is hardships. There are trials in life. But Lord, these are not foreign, they are not wasted. Every hardship, every trial can refine our faith can deepen our trust in You, can cause us to walk with You in deeper ways. And so we pray, Lord, that You would open our eyes to what You are doing in us. Because we are Your people. We're sojourners. We're exiles in this land. We're here to be beacons of Your light and Your truth. Lord, it is not about us. It is about You we pray that our eyes will be set on you and that your life can spring to life through us in everything that happens. In Jesus' name, amen.